0: Please note that after the recording of this particular podcast, Reverend Sean Lucas withdrew as a speaker for the evening of confessional concern and prayer, and this will affect the first portion of the podcast. Thank you. of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I am your host, William Hill, and this is broadcast 81, March 12, 2015. Today we're going to be talking with two men who have uh, begun, indeed they began it last year, um, a particular I don't want to call it an outreach, but a particular th- uh, thing, they'll they'll explain that in a minute. But it's something that the that, that PCA, uh, members in the PCA, both teaching and ruling elders, can take advantage of before um, each General Assembly. It's something that began last year and uh, is continuing this year. It's called an evening of confessional concern and prayer. And I think both men would agree that the underscore there is prayer. And so we're going to be talking with Pastor Jeff Gleason and Pastor Ken Pierce, uh, uh, Pierce um, both teaching elders in the Presbyterian Church in America, in just a few minutes about that particular subject. Let me just really fast—everybody knows this stuff anyway, but if you're interested in more information about the seminary, you can find that at our website, gpts.edu, as well as the podcast, Confessing Our Hope. Dot .com additionally we've begun uh, rolling out a new website for dr pipa where much of his material and resources and writing is available free as of course and that is joseph joseph pipa.com so those are some resources information that most people who listen to this podcast already knew i'd say anyway and know all about it now, as I indicated, we're going to be talking with uh, Pastor Gleason and Pastor Pierce about this evening of confessional concern and prayer. Last year, about this time, we did a podcast to try to highlight and promote this um, this uh, work, this effort that they've put together. And so, guys, it's great to have you back on again to talk through this particular thing that you've started. What last year, I mm-hmm. think, and maybe one of you can uh, give the listeners how did this actually begin? I mean, what. What was the genesis of it? I know you've done it once and um but how did it actually begin then and how does it come together this year? Maybe give some specifics as to date, time, location, um, why and where, that kind of stuff. So I don't care who who does it. There's both guys on, so it's <laughs> gonna be interesting, but um do the best you can and um and we'll just have fun. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> all right. Uh, well um He's punting already. See that? That's See right. that?
1: I want to first thank you for, for having us on. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to uh, people about the evening of confessional concern in prayer. Uh, you know, it's the second year, so it's almost tradition now since we're Presbyterian. We have to do it twice, and then it's pre- then it's uh, tradition. But what happened at the start of it was uh, Ken and I were having a phone call uh, at one point about... I, don't know, Ken, I interned under Ken when I was at seminary at RTS Jackson, and, and so I call uh, Ken from time to time just to make sure uh, the, the ship's going in the right direction still. We were uh, talking about different things, and we had mentioned uh, some of the concerns uh, that we had had about developments within the PCA, and uh, I think it was, if I remember correctly, that that, uh, that we kind of agreed that instead of just talking about it, we should see if we could come together in a constructive way, talk about some of the issues that are of concern uh, to people on, for lack of a better term, on the conservative side of the aisle within the PCA, but not just leave it there, uh, also spend time in prayer together since, uh, since we seek uh, to do things only by the Lord's help. And then uh, we had spoken, uh, following that initial phone conversation, we talked briefly with um, Mel Duncan, uh, ruling elder at 2nd Pres in Greenville, and also Rick Phillips, who's the teaching elder, uh, teaching elder there. And uh, we apparently were providentially thinking the same kinds of things, and so we've uh, partnered up with them uh, doing this work, hopefully to support uh, the, uh, the commissioners who are coming to the General Assembly as they prepare for the important decisions that are made in a church court. And so it was, it was intended to be uh, something that was uh, an encouragement rather than something that's divisive. And uh, so we've had one under our belts now, and you really do have the advantage of, of, of seeing one play itself out. And uh, what we realized was, or from my perspective anyways, one of the things I realized was the, the strength of that hour of prayer that we had together in that room with all those uh, teaching and ruling elders gathered together, um, you know when you when you have time of prayer, it's something that settles and it's something that really gives peace in the soul prior to a meeting that can be disconcerting at times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I thought, in terms of looking back, yeah, the talks were beneficial and I think they were very helpful. I think all the presenters. I did a a good job presenting the material clearly and and helpfully so that uh, you could see the significance of some of the decisions that were being made at last General Assembly. Uh, But I think in all, the highlight for me was that time of prayer together where you had men uh, who maybe on some things didn't even see eye to eye, at least not in all the details, uh, but still being able to come together and seeking the Lord's face and... and, uh, you know, living out that dependence on the Lord, even as as churchmen, uh, you know, sometimes you you can lose sight of that. And I think I thought it was a good good reminder. I don't know if you have uh, more to add. I don't know if I left anything off, Ken. But that's that's kind of my
2: recollection. Right now, I think you covered it. But being a pastor, I've got to say something in addition. So, know uh, I think it was. I think Jeff did a great job um, explaining it. I was think you know one of the things that gave Jen, uh, gave gave rise to it was. And I'm trying to remember the details of that conversation exactly, but that I felt like I had been caught off guard by the whole insider movement discussion, not even having any awareness of what it was. And all of a sudden, here it is at the General Assembly And that mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. teaching elders who are fairly attuned to what's going on are confused, what's your average ruling elder who may not – who didn't have the time or the you know, inclination necessarily to keep on top of every issue going on denominationally is coming in the General Assembly not knowing anything – about the issues that might come, how could we how could we mitigate that? And I think that was that was one of the goals is to be of service to the broader church, but to do it in a in a winsome way, uh, insofar as that's possible, not not uh, backing down from what we believe to be the truth or an assessment of where we think things are in the PCA, but to do it in a in a winsome way to keep it open so that anybody who wants to come can come. It's not a secret meeting. There's no caucusing going on. There's no behind-the-scenes machinations, even though some find that difficult to believe, but there's no, there's no organizing going on. It's just a meeting of, these are some issues that we think are facing the Church. Here's some something food for thought about these things so that you're aware and then let's bring this before the lord because like jeff said uh there's we could plan scheme and, and do everything all day long but if the lord withheld his blessing um uh, then it would be for naught. so
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that's a great point and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned i know we we last last year when we did this i think we went out of our way to make sure that people understood that um that we're not that this this evening of confessional concern and prayer is not a secret club it's not designed to kind of uh run an undercurrent behind closed doors but it is it, and as I indicated in the opening you know it's about prayer it's about seeking the lord's face he's the head of the church we are under shepherds we Want to do what he would tell us to do, and do it wisely with concern, not only for the truth of the gospel, but as well as for the benefit of our brothers and sisters, and all of those people that that attend in the PCA, not just the, the ruling and teaching elders, but all the many thousands of members that are been given to fallen humanity, fallen human beings, to lead and guide them. So, I mean, I'm glad you said that again. That's a very important. Element here, just quickly now, you've, you've had this once. so what kind of feedback did you men receive or did you receive feedback?
1: Well, I think uh, we did receive uh, some feedback. There was um, most of it positive. Some of it was uh, critical, and we try to take that to heart and and um, amend as needed. Uh, but the overall structure we we concluded just by observing and from the feedback was sound. And so we're following very much a similar format as we were, as we did last year in terms of having several men speak to some issues uh, and then having some time to pray together with different men leading different sections of prayer. So uh, as part of the evening of confessional concern and prayer, the last hour is reserved for prayer, and we simply pray through the ACTS uh, acronym, you know, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And, uh, we have different men who are, are leading those sections and, and, um, hopefully, hopefully it's edifying to the people. Uh, like, uh, Ken said before, it's intentionally very open. And, uh, you know, if, if your convictions uh, are of a more progressive nature within the PCA, uh, still encourage you to come and, and, and at least hear what your brothers of a more conservative stripe are saying it, it's always helpful, I think, to hear somebody else uh, s- articulate their position. It keeps you from making straw men and, and from mm-hmm. demonizing people that, that really are uh, seeking to serve the Lord as, as best they can.
0: Yeah, that's a great reminder. And um, for both, for, as it were, both sides, you know, I hate talking that way, but unfortunately it's the climate we live in and we have to do that. But uh, but it's good for both of us to remember, both sides to remember that it's important to understand what each other's saying before we critique it and deal with it fairly and charitably um, in this thing. Now, you did mention speakers, and 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 so I guess I want to ask up front. So this is not a free for all. Mm. So you guys don't just have people come in the room and it's just chaos, right?
2: No, we we uh, intentionally last year when we began thought in order to keep control sounds bad, but in order to keep some sort of civility and. Uh, decorum being kind of the upper hand, we thought, it, it, and for it to be a presentation of, like thoughtful, well-thought-out presentations, um, that we would assign the topics, and we try to pick people uh, who have kind of broader recognition in the church, by and large, that, ha- that are known quantities, uh, and then when it comes to leading the prayer times, pick guys who maybe aren't so well-known to do that, but but when it comes to the top themselves, uh, mm. um, to have them presented in a kind of a thoughtful, thorough way where they, a prepared presentation versus a kind of off-the-cuff venting session was our was our goal.
0: Yeah, that, that's good, and, and, and it's helpful. Now, what, what, what do you, would you say the balance is between the—and we're going to talk about these four areas in a minute—but um, the balance between that and the time of prayer, would you say it's evenly balanced?
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the time, so we have um, four topics, uh, have the men speak from 10 to 15 minutes on each topic, and so that's approximately an hour. I mean, keep in mind, they're, they're all teaching elders, so they're prone to going over time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that never happens. <laughs>
1: uh, the goal is to, that's an hour, and then to have an hour of prayer, and, uh, it, and we do a little singing at the beginning, a little singing at the end, but that's the basic format, yeah
0: outstanding outstanding now we said it's not a free or we you have said it's not a free-for-all um it it is structured and, and it's organized ahead of time so so that it's mindful of other people's time as well so the whole evening isn't just chaotically constructed so you have at least on the facebook page um as you did last year you have four four areas this year i don't remember what it was last year i think it was five but I'm getting old and my memory is not as good. Um, But this year you have four specifically. And so I guess the best thing to do just for the help of the listeners who may be going to GA, both ruling and teaching elders, you're all welcome um, to go. um, But to give them some kind of background as to uh, the approach here, I guess the easiest thing to do is just to kind of step through these. I don't need to be exhaustive about any one of them, but just to kind of sort of whet the appetite if that's the best way to do it. So it may be
2: helpful too just to think about when we had our our conversation put this together this year we noticed that this is a a somewhat of a down year in terms of overtures of controversial issues coming before the general assembly at least it was when we had our that discussion um so the our our general thought was well let's take this opportunity to be a little more broad in our focus versus Mm -hmm. this overture that now there is some of that of course but Uh, But what is the, you know, so you have David Strain talking about the general, the culture pressing in on the church because David grew up in Scotland. He was a minister in the free church and so on. So he knows what it's like to minister in this kind of postmodern context where homosexual uh, rights and homosexual marriage are more of a given. Um, And so what is it like to respond as a confessional conservative Christian in that and, and as a denomination uh, and and so too, like in the denomination as a whole, uh, with uh, with Rick's observations of what he sees us as, where he sees us going, or, or what mm-hmm. he sees are the particular tensions. So we wanted a broader, you know, kind of a broader issue base, for uh, for lack of a better term.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's good. And I, you know, I was I was just thinking when you mentioned that it's kind of a down year. You know, we don't say that negatively, but. Let's face it. Overtures tends to get the most <laughs> excitement. Is that the right word? Um, and I just wonder if the, if because of that, the attendance at the General Assembly is not going to be lower. I, I don't know. I'm just maybe that's the cynical side of me. Who knows? I plan on being there, Lord willing. But anyway, when I read that on your Facebook page. I was I'll admit to being a little disappointed disappointed. <laughs> is that is that bad? Uh, maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, be that as it may, um, there are still things to, to consider and there always will be. Um, you know, we live in a fallen world. We're not perfect people. And so we're always going to have issues to deal with. And that's really the first thing that you gentlemen uh, want to address. And it looks like Sean Lucas um, is going to be speaking on the issue, the PCA, which you have a title as is PCA Issues. Uh, and then listed them as SJC reform and related issues. What do you mean? That's pretty broad.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I think last year, of course, SJC reform was very much at the forefront. Yes. And I think as a whole, I think what we're trying to remind the denomination of in our limited capacity is, you know, this this issue, although – You know, it was voted down last year. This issue hasn't really been solved yet in terms of uh, on a denominational level. So there seems to be a problem uh, where we're setting up as a denomination or have set up as a denomination a a very small group of uh, a very small part of the body, which could potentially err, not saying that we don't trust the men who are serving on the SJC, but man by his nature can sin and err. And to have very little recourse in terms of appeal or in fact no recourse uh, following a rendering of a decision by the SJC seems to be creating problems and uh, you know, the whole the whole idea of, of dealing with men with doctrinal issues comes to mind that as long as their presbytery gives them a, a speedy trial and, and procedurally does everything correctly, how how can we as a, a larger body of Christ still hold to account if in fact the SJC is is viewed as erring or, or sinning? And so uh, not again, I'm not saying that the men on the SJC are, are going out with those intentions, of course, uh, but as a, as a church, how do we handle those kinds of situations? Is there, is there a way that we could implement something so that there would be a way to address the decisions of SJC and I think, uh, uh, Sean Lucas, um, I listened to his talk from, from last year, a couple of days ago, just to refresh myself on that issue. And I think his, his plan is, is sound or at least feasible. Maybe it needs to be tweaked here and there, but to keep thinking through that issue as conservative, a confessional, uh, churchmen in the PCA, how do we, uh, fix what seems to be a potentially, uh, yeah, potentially a harmful problem in in our polity procedures. As dry as that sounds, I think it's still, I think it's a, it's a relevant issue uh, to think through and to to ask that question. Who holds SJC accountable?
0: Yeah, yep. You know, it's funny you you bring that up because I was just reflecting on my licensure exam when I was in committee, and one of the questions they asked me, and this kind of. Really speaks to what you're talking about. They asked me if there was anything in the BCO I could change. What would it be? And I didn't hesitate. I said Chapter 15. And they were like, "What? <laughs> What's that?" <laughs> I mean, they were they were all digging out their BCOs because they had they, they didn't expect that at all. I'm sure that wasn't in even in their radar. And they were all digging out their BCOs to see what does Chapter 15 have to do with, and it's this is the it, one of the, the issues. Um, I was on overtures a couple of years ago when that was the issue. There was four different overtures related to the SJC, its involvement, the, the, how the Assembly responds to their decisions, and, in, and the rules that have boxed us into certain circumstances, and how do we get past this. And none of the men on the committee, and with all due respect to them, they didn't even – Either understand what I meant by Chapter 15, or I don't know what what they were thinking, but I know they they dug their BCOs out. That was uh, it was interesting to me. Um,
2: yeah, yeah I, I, think, I,
0: I guess they expected something else.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I, th- I think it's it's difficult because, and this is why I think it's valuable for Sean to come talk to us about this. I mean, conservatives can differ over how, how or what ought to be reformed, and I, we saw that last year because Skywaters. Sure was presenting yep. on a different topic, but he asked if he might respond to Sean, and he made the case for the way things are now, I, I believe. But uh, but there's a sense, I think the federal vision showed us there's a sense in which our polity is, is schizophrenic and broken. It's schizophrenic yep. because you have a whole denomination that in Memphis votes some, some overwhelming percentage to receive a study committee report that denounces the FV, right? And then when it comes to individual FV ministers, we pretty much determine that um, – you know either the FE really doesn't exist that nobody actually really believes it or that somehow we're going to tolerate this thing that we we've, we've uh, already declared to be out of accord in a sense not a creedal sense but in the sense with the study committee report with the gospel and it just woke up a lot of people i think to how the grassroots system of church courts—the weakness of that—if a presbytery decides to kind of close ranks around one of its ministers, but does everything procedurally correct, there's very little that right, anybody exactly. from outside can do, or That's above, right. you know.
0: So yeah, the rules have boxed us in, and 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 I commend the SJC for playing by the the rules, as it were. But the rules have taken away the power of the the the. the broader church court to deal effectively with, especially doctrinal um, problems. Um, as you both know, I'm sure um, one of the more recent unpleasant issues surrounding this particular matter, I'm trying to avoid names, though everybody knows who I'm talking about, um, is no longer in the denomination. You're right. aware of that, right? Yep. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm in one sense, I'm glad, in the other sense, I'm sad, because we we weren't able to deal with him the way it probably should have been done. On the other hand, I'm glad because it's sort of st- the troubling nature of that is now uh,
2: Well, in that individual us. case, I mean, and then uh, they did, I was reminded the other day that uh, there, was the, there was a trial of a particular teaching elder in Siouxlands Presbytery that oh. the SJC sent back for that court to retry. So, well, I mean, it's, there's still kind of lingering things out there, even though some of the individual issues have um, have been taken care of by, you know, less than Scrupulously biblical means unfortunately sure
0: now now the s j c reform and related issues are those are we uh, is there something else well, brewing or on the horizon, or is that pretty not much,
1: but I think that the related issues is kind of you know what are some positive steps that we can take to help s j c reform move forward and it's not only to do with s j c but it's kind of information flow issues and and how do you how do you make sure that uh, the, the man not in the SJC has access to the information? Not Maybe not, but at least the summary of the case and, and rendering of decisions. And so, so some of it is kind of an information flow uh, question. And that's sure. related to the SJC,
0: but that's not the SJC itself. I can think of one way of reforming the SJC, but I won't say it on the air. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure you both are reading my mind. I can just imagine. All right, enough said about that. <laughs> um, but Sean Lucas is going to be doing this talk, and uh, now are, are these four items? Are you taking them in order as well on that evening? Yeah, yeah. Will they come in this order? Yep. Okay, that's good programming note. Now the second one is confessional issues. Now it does certainly um, it relates to the first one in some sense, but. There's two overtures, at least that you've indicated, overtures two and nine. So maybe for the sake of the listeners who aren't in front of a computer, most of them listen to this program, probably running around, they're doing their jogging or they're riding a bike or driving to work. So they're probably not even able to look at this. If one of you or both can summarize what is overtures two and nine talking about, and then maybe talk through this second point that John Payne, um, and, and maybe tell the listeners who John Payne is, he may not be as widely known. Um, as Sean Lucas is, um, as well. Yeah. So I just gave you a truckload of stuff to do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Who wants to do that one?
2: <laughs> you want me to take that, Jeff, or you want to sure, take Sure, go it? ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, those two overtures, one coming out of North Texas and one out of uh, Tennessee Valley, um, asking for a study committee uh, to be formed to look at revising the con- uh, confessional standards in regards to observance of the Sabbath, I think particularly centering on the uh, cessation of recreation right on on the lord's day so uh and it seems to me that the general tenor behind those that movement not judging not judging motives or anything is that that exception is so common and it 's held by such a plurality of at least of teaching elder candidates and so on uh that we ought to look at it. Uh, whether it ought to be in our confession or not, which I think is altogether backward. I mean, first of all, I don't agreed. have. Sim- Go ahead.
0: Uh, no, I said agreed.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have sympathy with that particular movement. But even if I did have sympathy with a particular confessional revision, first of all, a study committee can't recommend anything to the General Assembly, as I understand it. So I'm, I'm not sure what what it would benefit. What benefit that route would t- uh, taking that route would have. And um, second of all, it seems to me that's kind of a strange thing to say, well, our practice doesn't conform to what we believe, so let's change what we believe. And um, I think there's a great danger in that, obviously. Not that I, the, the confession is not scripture. It's it's amendable for a reason. Uh, but on this issue, I think it's correct. Now, John Payne is pastor, church planner in Charleston, South Carolina. Before that, he pastored for a good number of years in suburban Atlanta, and um, he's taught at RTS Atlanta and so on uh, and, and spoken at several different conferences. So he may not be as well known as, as Sean or Rick, but we thought uh, he would be an excellent one on this topic.
0: Yeah, um, I, if I remember correctly, Lash, I was as I said before, I wasn't able to be at the Houston um, GA, um, but I did watch the stream um, and at least I try always do that. If I'm not able to be there, at least know what's going on. And um, as an officer, simply for that, you know, for that, that's one of the big reasons, of course. But if I remember correctly, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't this, didn't this get bounced by overtures, this particular request from North Texas before? And have they not then responded to the, this General Assembly and, and amended the overture in such a way to conform with what they were requesting? Is that how it's coming down? Yeah, I, no, I, think, I, don't. Yeah, I think that's right. To...
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that they were turned down and told to simply, if if they had a problem, uh, that they should uh, make a suggestion as to how to amend the standards uh, to accomplish their purpose, because the standards were clear on it, if I remember correctly. And I think uh, you know what Ken said about the approach is especially true of that the second overture, where they don't even have kind of a an explanation except for their whereas statements and the whereas statements seem to flow along the lines of, well, we don't practice this, so let's change the standards so we don't have to take exceptions. I think the ninth overture at least attempts to make a biblical argument for, uh, for disagreement with the, with the confessions and the larger and shorter catechism specifically on the recreation, uh, clauses. And, but I think the, the issue is more so than Sabbath issue. And I, and for, personally, for me, Sabbath is, is a very important cog in the moral law. But apart from the Sabbath issue, I think that the question of, if is this the function of our confessions? Like, are we approaching them the right way? Do we, do we use our confessions to reflect our cultural position Or do we seek to conform ourselves to the standards because we believe them to be an accurate reflection of the Word of God? Mm -hmm. And so I think from a confessional perspective, I think we're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, should we change the confession? I think the better question to ask is, how is it that we have gone off course with the confession? Now, like Kent said, the confessions are uh, not scripture. So they are open to be changed. Um, but I think to move those fence posts on the confessions, I think that requires a lot more introspection than, than we've thrown at this issue. Um, I think, I think there's gotta be a lot more self-examination within the denomination on this issue.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so if I were to summarize, I mean, you guys certainly respond to this, um, the issue then for this, the recreation closet, as it's commonly understood, um, and because so many men, as it were, I don't even know what that means. I mean, that, how, what does that mean? What percentage of presbyteries and men that come are ordained in those presbyteries actually take exception to this? I don't know what those numbers are. Maybe somebody does. I don't know what they are. Um, but they seem to be asserting that that a great number of their men, anyway, um, in their little presbytery, whatever it is, out of the 81 other presbyteries, are taking this exception. So therefore, then, because it happens so often, let's change the confession to agree more with our practice. But but as I think you've said, that's upside down, really, right? If the Bible doesn't advocate this position, then yes, let's change it. Absolutely, I totally agree. Right. But if it does advocate this position, then we shouldn't change it. Right. Regardless exactly. of what we're doing.
2: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think that's... And that ought to be with any confessional revision, which myself, I can't imagine anything in the confession needing to be changed wholesale. Uh, I can imagine particular instances where it might need to be added to because it doesn't address a particular Mm. topic i mean i think that's probably what was in view in, in making it amendable in the first place not that we would shuttle particular fundamentals of the reformed faith but uh and one that's often brought up is you know abortion right because it just wasn't in the Cultural cards when the confession was written, in sure. now should we? I'm not advocating that we should, but it's just an example of something that could be added at a certain point. Um,
0: well, so let's let's game play this. Then, I mean, you guys are churchmen. Um, I already know the answer to this question before I ask it, but the listeners probably will not know. Uh, let's just game play this. The Overture Committee gets this. They 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 recommend to the General Assembly to adopt this uh, Overture, and um, so a study committee is erected. What's the timeline on that?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, let me just think about that.
0: I think it was a. I think they said a year, but I but I read it weeks ago. So yeah, <laughs> lots has happened since it's then. It's
1: in the administrative committee uh, report, and I read it, but I I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head. So.
0: Well, let's just say that it was a year. They come back to the forty was it the forty fourth General Assembly? Yeah, forty fourth next year, not not this one coming up next month, but the one after that. And they recommended GA that we um, amend the Confession to eradicate the recreation clause of Westminster twenty one. So, what then? What what has to happen for that to be done? For it to actually be eradicated. Yeah, it's for it
2: uh, this is a presbytery exam, William. I'm trying to remember, but it's a, it's a, I think it's three quarters of the General Assembly. I mean, it's it's a super majority of, of the Presbyteries and and a General Assembly and a subsequent General Assembly. Um, I can look it up at my BCO right here. While I'm looking it up. Talk about something else.
0: Well, but, you're uh, right. <laughs> Before you look it up, yeah, it would it would be a super majority of that GA. Then it would take a supermajority of the Presbyterians and then another supermajority of this following General Assembly. Now, I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm a cynical guy, but I got to tell you, I find that almost beyond even reasonable to think that three quarters of the 81 Presbyterians would vote for this and two subsequent uh, previous and subsequent GA would do it too. I know the PCA is off the rails in some ways, but I'm not sure that we're there yet. I, right and i think uh, maybe this, maybe i'm wrong but
2: no i think you're right and i think part of it is just a general reticence not to tamper with the confession people say we we don't need to change it right uh, there's already an apparatus in place if you disagree with that particular clause for your presbytery to determine whether or not that's an allowable exception so i, I think just that kind of inertia would be enough to keep it from passing but then again as we as you look at how things have happened in other denominations History it's not determinative, but it can instruct here. Mm-hmm. It, it, the reason, you know, a ball starts rolling at some point. And that's where I think people, well, we're just going to broach this idea. We're just going to get it out there for discussion. And then we'll, we'll see if we can make it, you know, kind of build a groundswell for it. Not expecting the first first time to pass. Um, so that, that would be my hey. thought. I don't think it's got a prayer. I don't really think it'll come out of committee. But you Be wrong about that.
1: And, and, yeah, I didn't and, make it. Then you also have the other purpose of the of what we're doing on that evening the evening confession of concern and prayer is not only um to deal with issues in a in a short-sighted way but to take time to talk about these things openly and to make sure we understand the significance of perhaps something that uh, you, I mean I think each generation loses sight and has its own weaknesses and, and uh, you know what is our weakness as a generation maybe it's how we re- how we react to the confessional statements that we've been blessed with uh, I don't know right. yeah
0: and i and i think you guys have already said this and so we're just rehashing this in some sense but the underlying concern i would have with the these two overtures is not so much yes i completely agree with the recreation clause i am i was asked in my lecture exam on the floor if i take any exceptions to the standards i said no i expected pushback from that frankly i did mm-hmm. i thought somebody was going to challenge me and yeah. nobody did and i was thankful for that because i didn't want to stand up there for another 20 minutes trying to explain why i don't but um but i guess the underlying concern i would have is is the methodology that this overture sprang from
1: right but in all fairness to- Overture nine, they do make a biblical or they try to make a yes. biblical argument for Good. the changes uh, to the standards, and so so they're. But Overture two has nothing of that, but Overture nine does make an attempt to include some biblical rationale uh, for why they're doing what they're doing, and it, it's based mostly around uh, uh, an understanding of Isaiah 58, turning your feet
0: mm-hmm. aside
1: from your own pleasures and delighting in the Lord on the Lord's day. And so they make their argument based around that. I'm of course, I'm going to disagree with where they end up on it, but at least they're they're making an effort from to to justify their position from scripture.
0: And I think my my gut feeling is that the committee is probably going to say I've you know, I've seen this exception taken at in, in Calvary Presbytery. I've seen it in other presbyteries taken. And I think the this is just my gut. I have no prophetic gifts whatsoever in this area. Uh, but I think. They may just say, look, the press are fully able to determine uh, these types of exceptions. This has been an exception that some press will allow and some will not, and we should leave it in their hands. That's it.
2: Right. I think, I, I you're, just, I think you're right.
0: I, I just don't see it becoming a denomination-wide uh, issue of trouble. Um, but maybe I, I could be wrong. I, you know, weirder things have happened, as has already been um, pointed out. So those are the two – I lost my page uh, – Oh, I know why I lost my page. Uh, there it is. Okay. Um,
1: We're all scrambling for the BCO after your tough questions. Sorry, yeah, that's sorry right. about that.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't interpret that as me being an expert in anything. I'm just uh, I'm really good at regurgitating what everybody else tells me to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, um, so that's the those are the two overtures of, of substance, I guess. I mean, not to denigrate the other ones. I don't even know what they are, frankly. So, um um, but those are the two that will be discussed. And in and in, in, again, I think those are the core matters to consider. Now, you got the third item here, PCA trajectory. Now that, you know, I read that and I think, oh, boy, <laughs> where's the PCA going? Um, where is it going? Well, who's going to be talking on this now? <laughs> because I know I can read. <laughs> um, this, I would love to be there to hear this, um, frankly. But um, anyway, go ahead.
1: Rick Phillips is going to be talking about that one and uh he's simply you know this is uh this is a limited perspective obviously and there's certain things that that seem to be cropping up in the pca perhaps leaning more towards a progressive direction and and i think all uh rick phillips wants to do is ask the question uh is are the more recent developments in the pca indicative of a greater trajectory uh, a greater uh, movement within the PCA from a more center, right of center, towards a more left of center uh, perspective of of church life. So, uh, thinking about uh, the influence of Biologos in the PCA, Biologos an organization that is actively uh, seeking to promote theistic evolution in the <clears throat> life of the church. Issues like egalitarianism. Uh, are we rid of any talk of uh, women ordination to the office of deacon? Uh, we had the the, the um, overture last year uh, seeking to allow men to take exceptions to uh, having a conviction that women could be ordained. Um, you know, are those things have those things gone away or are they uh, continuing on? Is the there's there are some positive de- developments? You know, in terms of uh, I think. Uh, Many people have had discussions with MTW about their uh, recent changes and then uh, revisions of their missions and vision statement. And I think those have been very positive developments, at least from a uh, from a from a confessional or conservative perspective. Uh, But is there is there a greater movement in the PCA towards progressivism or uh, are we holding the line in a as conservative uh, denomination? And I think he's just going to walk us through uh the things that he's observing and uh and uh and we'll, i think we'll benefit from it. Uh, he is uh, very uh, very uh, he is very very clear in how he communicates and he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't make you swim around the pond too much he, he lets you know exactly where <laughs> it's going to be so I think uh, Rick will do a great job with that topic.
0: Yeah, he's not la- he doesn't lack in passion. Nope. He's definitely not boring. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> and, and you usually know where, where yeah, you're right. <laughs> I won't say <laughs> anymore. I'll get in trouble. Um, so in this, what's the, 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 the goal really with that third element? Uh, you know, is it just an information thing, get people to think, or I'm just thinking, okay, is this more information? What's the purpose of it? It's just kind of like like a State of the Union address. Well,
2: well I, would, I think it's more than that. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think it's just important, kind of in a don't put too much on this word, but a sociological analysis of the PCA, mm-hmm. uh, particularly because it is an interesting time. I always thought, and in some senses, it's been true that having a denomination slightly to our left—that's the EPC—served as a, an escape valve for some of this, but that never i think i've been largely wrong about that it seems like nobody's thinking or very few would think well i if i if my views of women in office change the epc is a better fit for me than the pca it almost seems like there's a there's there's a motion out there to kind of change the pca to reflect that you see what i'm saying right, um, right. but at the same time some of the more progressive congregations have left us i mean look at obviously city church in san francisco is in the news all over the place Yep. Um it went into the Reformed Church in America and, and not only went into the Reformed Church in America, it skated across the evangelical wing of that denomination right over to the left. Um and then there's a church in uh, a former Reformed Church from Metro New York, Metro, New York too, that believed joined the EPC. So some of the more progressive churches have kind of thrown in the towel. So I think it's important for us as as uh, confessionalists, to realize, not that we're not involved in a war with people we disagree with, but if we, um, there are some certain signs that are hopeful signs, I think, in the denomination, and there are worrying signs, and it's important to keep those in check because I think the fault of the right is always, well, we're just going to take our chips and go. It's too late, we've gone off the cliff, and there's no coming back. And every time you do that, you lose. Right? If yep. you're just willing to take your chips and go home and not fight or view that every particular battle is is the equivalent of the war, and again that's just an analogy. but um, then, then you're never going to win anything. And so if you keep you, you know you keep your, your people who are farther on the right keep getting dissatisfied and going somewhere else, there's no hope. But I think what Rick will say, and I'm, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth or predict, he'll say, look, all is not lost here. There are troubling things. But uh and there is a there is a quote unquote battle to be waged here. Mm. But we can hold the line. And like Jeff said, I mean Lloyd Kim, the new MTW coordinator's responsiveness to the concerns of more confessional uh brothers on, on some of the matters concerning the MTW mission statement and so on, I think is a good and hopeful sign of that. Um I, I would say too, like I remember the whole and I don't want to get into the national partnership too much, but the whole flap when that came to light a year or so ago. And uh, Tom Cannon, who's now the uh, coordinator of RUF, who's, who would self-identify, I think, left of center, was willing to listen to the confessional folks and, and come out and against his own, quote unquote, his own brethren and say, uh, this is not right. There should not be functioning secret societies. There should not be politicking behind the scenes. It's not right. So I think there's there are some hopeful signs, too, that need to be held before people who like myself, are, tend to be pessimistic about the future of anything. So, <laughs> you know, so I, I just think—
0: I identify with that emotion.
2: <laughs> right, right. And I think that's just a kind of a built-in character trait of people who are, you know, conservative. And we need to be careful to mitigate that with, wait a second, you know. We don't sure. lose all the time. And, and Christ is still on the throne and God is right. still at work. Why, we don't want to throw in the towel and, and leave uh, yep. without having fought the good fight. You
0: know? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, you, you remind me of conversations I've had with uh, men who have have yeah, are still in seminary or very early in their ministerial life, um, and they're younger men. And and I and I say that for a purpose and underscore that there's men much older who have been waging this battle for much longer, who are still in there, and they want to jump over and go to another denomination. I won't men- mention the ones that I usually hear. Right. And, and, and they don't, they want to go because they don't want to be, th- th- there's too many issues. It's just too complicated. It's too hard. It's, uh, they've gone off the PCA has gone off the rails here. They've gone off the rails here. They go, And I always remind, try to remind them. I say, well, look, you know, I, I certainly understand your concerns. And I, and I realize that you, I can't bind your conscience on these matters. You have to prayerfully consider these things right. for yourself. But I said, I'm troubled by them too. I'm probably more troubled by them than you are. I've been in the PCA for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I said, but here's the thing that always sort of centers me a little bit. I said, I'll tell them uh, if every conservative guy that's genuinely concerned about the the state of the church uh, just left, where would the church be? Right. And they just kind of look at me, and I said, you know, in a lot, in a lot, in a large sense, the conservative, if you want to use that word, the conservative branch of the PCA is holding the moderates that are in the middle, there. Mm -hmm. If without the conservatives, the tension of the conservative guys, uh, the moderates are going to just fall, topple over. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's almost that tug-of-war is constantly going on. And and I said, so, you know, in God's providence, I'm in the PCA. And I don't like what's going on in some areas, uh, but uh, we haven't apostatized yet, um, and I pray we never do. Um, But... um, that that's uh, that just try to at least for me keeps me centered. Um, uh, yeah, I, I go to GAs and I leave, and I'm thinking, I get, oh, why did I go? I'm just aggravated. But right. you know, and it happens. But but remember, as you said, we're not the head of the church. We're just to be faithful in it to the best of our ability. Right. So. Um, And so I think that's a great perspective, you know, that that given the trajectory, help us think through things, help us pray through these things more carefully. And in fact, you do these four sessions before prayer. So now it's not only is it prayer for the denomination and for the General Assembly, but it's informed prayer about matters that are in front of us. So. You know, I commend you for having this, but you do have the right guy doing it. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I've had many private convers—well, uh, numerous <laughs> private conversations with with Pastor Phillips about some of these things too. And yeah, he, he's he's clearly thought through them. Uh, I think very very well. Um, and then, of course, you have the fourth item. I, do you have any more to say on that before I move on?
1: No. I mean, I think it, it's just a summary of of why we're doing what we're doing, right? Yeah, not to yep. not the pout, but uh, nope. to be proactive and positive,
0: and and be informed. You know, we're not Congress; we don't pass things at General Assembly because, and then we'll figure out what's in it after the fact. Um, we, we should come to the assembly or any court. You know, session meetings, Presbytery, the General Assembly. We should be informed. Um, that's been one of my complaints. I think with GA is that we get the documentation way too late, and it's too difficult to weed through. And now you want me to make decisions based on what i've barely looked at right um, with very not because i don't want to right right yeah. not because i don't want to but because i don't have time because i get it a week ahead or or, right. or a day ahead um yeah, but right. anyway that's another subject for another day um maybe we'll get the stated clerk on i can ask him that question directly <laughs> but number d letter d um the contemporary issues that are facing the church and i know we talked off air a little bit about this but um tell us who's doing this and you know, what's your goal and purpose here. Um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I'm sure this will generate conversation anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well. So whoever.
2: Okay, uh, David Strain is the minister at First Presbyterian Church here in Jackson. He followed Ligon Duncan there. He was an uh, evening preacher while Ligon was still senior pastor there and then succeeded him as pastor. And uh, like I mentioned before, he is, uh, he is a Scott and he ministered in in the UK, he was pastor in London before he came to Columbus, Mississippi. And uh, and so he's ministered in a culture that's decades, I don't want to say ahead of us, but decades further down the slope, if you will. And yeah. so I think David will bring a, an interesting perspective as to how to be a faithful Christian within a culture that is post-Christian and therefore anti-Christian that views or that we th- or we thought was going to view Christianity as a private matter that as long as it didn't, or the public square could believe what it wanted. But I think that the whole homosexual marriage debate is showing us that that isn't true. I mean, that this is not going to stop at the doors of the church. It's going to invade the walls of the church and cost individual congregations and maybe denominations dearly for standing up for biblical... Uh, marriage, biblical manhood, and womanhood in general. So, I, David will just just from his own particular experience, I, I think, and also, yeah, because he's he's ministered in a different context, he'll bring a different perspective than the one we've probably all just imbibed from talk radio. So, I think he'll have a very unique take on it. Yeah,
1: and I think I think uh, understanding. Not only the the import of the of the issues in our culture and how that's going to affect our church churches, but how do we respond to it even mm-hmm. when I was talking mm-hmm. with uh, David strain about it uh, over the phone not too long ago, he kind of said, do you know what's gonna what's gonna make us different than the Pharisee looking down his nose at the tax collector and the other sinners uh, right. his definition of of that word, and how as a church do we come alongside these people?" Should there be some genuine repentance in their life and they uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit are called, how do we help disciple them and walk them through uh, that process? And, and you know, when he was talking about it, uh, I recognized in my own heart that's definitely outside my comfort zone in terms of, if you want to use that, that phrase, you know, it's not something that I've had to deal with and neither would it be an easy thing to deal with. So what he's trying to do also, and not only laying out the difficulties of culture, as as Ken was explaining, but also thinking through how do we as a church proactively prepare for those things that will become more common in our culture, should our culture continue down this road of throwing off uh, the restrictions that God has given to us in his word.
0: Yep, well, we all know and I'm sure the listeners are well aware of, at least in the United States, uh, I have listener, we have listeners in Brazil and China and Japan, so uh, I don't know where their situations are with their governments and country. But as far as the U.S. listeners are concerned, everybody should by now be aware of the fact that the United States Supreme Court is currently debating or or whatever it is they do after they hear all the arguments. Um, but anyway, determining whether or not they're going to leave this in the hands of the states or they're going to make a unilateral Declaration that um, that pretty much levels the playing field. Uh, so heterosexual marriage and homosexual marriage are on the same footing, and they're both marriage. And 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 how that's going to affect the church? Because it's going to. Uh, there's no way to avoid it. Right. right. Um, and, and which really raises a question that's not necessarily germane to this the particular topic we're talking about today. But I would like to ask you both a question, as pastors, and this is something that we've actually talked about in seminary in classes. That this has actually come up. But how can churches practically protect themselves from what we've seen already occurring with various businesses, Christian business owners who refuse to make a wedding cake, for instance, for a homosexual right. couple?
2: I don't. You know, that's probably a question for um, a lawyer who knows ecclesiastical politics. Um, can you not foresee a time when? We'll just have to surrender tax-exempt status. That's a relatively small thing, I think,
0: in the grand scheme
2: of things. But it's coming. And and things like incorporation and so on will probably go by the wayside, too. The question is, you know, will that ever be enough uh the answer, you know, given what we know about history and how Satan works in reading the book of Revelation, not not in any kind of pre-tribulational sense, but just is always no. I mean, there's never enough. Satan's never satisfied, right? So it's always there's always gonna be a place we have to stand and and stand firm and say, uh, whatever the cost, we're gonna uphold this the the matter of the truth of the word of God on this particular issue. Um yeah, I think there's. I had another thought, but it's it's flown out of my head. Um. Anyway, and
1: and, and I think I think to as pastors set before the congregation the significance of prayer uh, mm-hmm. in response to this issue. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely things we need to do uh, for protection or whatever, and and Ken, uh, Ken knows way more about that than I do apparently from. <laughs> from his answer, <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think but- I do think that that you got to start with prayer. You got to start with uh, laying that issue before the Lord and and just pleading with Him for His protection over His church. And if yep. if in His providence He says no, you 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 have to suffer that uh, for for this time. Just believe that it, what it says in Scripture that that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't yep. put us to shame. So, uh, so it's not as uh, it's not as as bleak as as, uh, as it can seem at at times if we keep that perspective.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't lost at all. Just if this if the U.S. Supreme Court says, you know, goes in the opposite direction, which we hope it would. Um, you know, I'm comforted by the Book of Acts when I see the the amount of persecution that went on in the early church, and how the gospel flourished. Yeah. Uh, tremendously in it. Um, if that's God's choosing his, his, you know, let's face it, the United States has been sitting pretty happy and the church in the United States has been fat and happy for a long time. And we've been pretty, we've been left alone. I mean, by and large, I mean, let's just be honest. uh, We've been left alone. There's been pockets of this or that, but the reality is we've been left alone to pretty much operate, um, however we thought was proper and right ecclesiastically Uh, But it seems like, anyway, unless God intervenes providentially, uh, those days are changing. Right. um,
2: And I think we're going to face it inside the church, not necessarily, well... Right, that's a great
0: point. But homosexual
2: marriage. But what about, like you you said earlier on, and uh, and Jeff mentioned too about David, is how do you minister to people with homosexual inclination? How do you regard that particular inclination? Uh, and, And there's obviously a variety of opinion out there on that. I think there's general consensus in the PCA that homosexual activity and homosexual lust are sinful. But when it comes to a matter of how fixed is the sexual orientation, does an orientation itself count as sin? Those sorts of questions are just starting to be asked now. Not, you know, those those other denominations have asked those before us. Uh, It's just a matter of we're seeing a shift in evangelical, self-professed evangelical opinion now in the United mm-hmm. States on this matter. And you're going to see, uh, continuing, I think, b- leaders in broader evangelicalism uh, equivocate and actually shift positions on, on this particular issue. Uh, how What's it going to look like for us? And especially, I think, the cultural pressure. In the Southeast, you don't experience this near as much, at least in most of the Southeast, Atlanta or New Orleans exceptions. But um, as, as people ministering in the you know, New York, Boston, uh, mm-hmm. Ivy League towns on campuses, they're going to be, they are faced with us in a much more pressing way than we are. And the question is going to be, are we willing to forego any kind of cultural acceptance to stand for the truth of the Word of God? Or are we going to try to throw, up so, throw over so much ballast that we can try to keep the ship afloat culturally? And that's always the temptation for the church. How... How little do we have to continue to believe to be Christian? How how close can we get to the culture? And I, I, just being honest, that's just the pressure that's on us. So, yep. um, and we'd like to think, well, we won't capitulate to that, but it, it becomes much more difficult when it's um, you know it's a matter of the pressing matter that you have to decide at that particular moment.
0: Yep, I, I, you know, that's, those are great insights, and I think. Um, you know practically we were we were talking about this in class this particular issue and um we asked dr pipa um you know how you know this is not something when you were pastoring you didn't even had to think about um you know as far as what if a, a homosexual couple comes to my comes to the church door bangs on my office door and says hey, we want you to marry us he goes well. Obviously, you can't. I said, well, obviously, I can't. I, I mean, I would like to think that the Lord would give me enough grace to tell them the reason, but right. I said, but, but, how do we? You know, then they turn around and they sue us, it, which is it, it seems I think proven at this point that they're actually de- doing that on purpose. They're deliberately trying sure. to find sure. those opportunities. Now I, I said, I said, how do you, how does a church protect itself? He says, well, look, number one, it's important for the sessions of each church to have a clear written policy. As to who you will allow to use your facilities for marriage, right? Um, you got to have it in writing, and it, it, that may not be enough, but at least it's better than nothing. That um, leaves you wide open to all sorts of attacks. That uh, you know, we need to be prudent and wise at the same time. Seek to minister in that context, um, it, it, but I think you're right. I think it's a, it's not an issue that any of us have really had to deal with uh, uh, directly uh, until. Now, um, and so I think this is going to be a good talk. I and I, 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 this is one that I would like to be in on, especially if I had to choose just one. Um, this one, especially because these are these are the. This really is where the rubber hits the road, mm-hmm. um, ministerially, um, as teaching and ruling elders and the people that we're charged to, to care for, um, and how we're going to do that. Um, especially the more broader issue of same sex attraction. I think that's even more complicated and convoluted.
2: Well, that's the one we're going to be dealing with in our congregations, and I think if there's any good that's come out of this, it's that an individual who is truly committed to Christ, who has unwanted same-sex attraction, let's say, is going to probably be more willing to seek help with that than he would have been or she would have been in the past. Uh, That's the only good side to this that I can see. Um, I, I I hope that's right.
0: Well, it, it, if anything, it, it, it's going to cause the church to think through this more, and yes, um, that's right. And, and, and to deal with it in a God-honoring, biblically oriented way, not um, you know, not just kick him to the curb and, and act as though um, you know, like it's a plague, uh, whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know. Like I said, there's no class in the seminary. Not that that would matter. <laughs> as i've yeah four years of seminary has been great but then there's there's theory and there's reality they do go together sometimes but a lot of times they are they, they, you know you figure it out as you're learning but um there's i haven't had a class yet on this subject um i've had classes that relate to it somehow but the fact is this is this is going to be in our face uh, just like we have a we do have a class at at greenville on islam mm-hmm. we have it's an entire class just on 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 islam and and the influence of the Muslim um, uh, worldview, and why? Why do we have it? Well, because it's in our face. It's, it's a big deal, and maybe it, it needs to be a course of study within another course um, to deal more. You know, how, do we, how do we respond to this? I mean, as Christians, we have the truth. We have the answer. It's the gospel. But how are we going to get that to these people that already hate our guts? I mean, let's just call it, say what it is. They don't right. like us because we're Christians. And they know what the Bible says. Right. Because it's written on their heart. And so, what are they going to do? They're going to hate on us. And that's how do we love them? That's the question. And, I, and so, I think that's going to be a really good talk. Um, and I mean, I could do a whole podcast just on this subject, <laughs> frankly. But um, it's and uh, it probably needs to be done more and more in, in future days. Well, we've, we've got to the end of the, the four items anyway. And it's been, I, I think it's been very good discussion. Um, and it's really a taste of what this will generate, I think, um, after you have these discussions, which really prompts question, a question after last year's, was there a, was there to your knowledge anyway, or did you witness or observe, um, more one-on-one individual conversations or groups of conversations as a result of the things that were brought up?
1: Well, I, I didn't witness it personally, but I'm going to just assume because I'm optimistic by nature that there were tons of them. <laughs>
2: That's an anomaly. That's great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always good to have one optimist in the bunch. Well, I'll tell
2: know. you what, one of the things that came up, I did notice people talking afterward and so on and making connections. Maybe they hadn't met folks before. And I think it does encourage people to know that they're not alone. That's if they maybe in presbyteries where they feel like they're on the far right fringe and, and, and everything's stacked against them, to know that they're not alone is helpful and that these people are not, you know, that these are loving, normal people. Um, and that also opened up a door for me with, for a discussion with a guy from the other side, where we just got together, coffee and so on, and just got to know each other, and we and were able to talk through some of those concerns in a way without horns and without teeth. And uh, uh, that I think is a, is also a helpful thing uh, because, like you said, it's easier it's easier to caricature things if you yep. um, you know if you're not face to face. And so we do we really to encourage anybody from wherever he, one perceives himself to be on the spectrum of the PCA or uh, it, to come and to uh, to listen and to pray, you know?
0: Um, yeah, there's not going to be a separate seating section for those who don't agree. <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> You know, like the old school Presbyterians in the north, where they shove the new side old the new light guys in the back of the room or whatever right, Again, it's not yeah. like that not a, um
1: and I think know. I mean for <laughs> Ken's point, I mean I was joking earlier on, but you know I think that that time of prayer really is that unifier uh, yep. in in that process, even if you're listening to four talks that you think the guys got it all wrong when you come on your knees to the Lord together, it really is um. Yeah, it it was something uh, to be part of last year. It was a real privilege. Well,
0: that's a great way to conclude um, with an encouraging element to this. And and again, I think all involved would say, uh, come if you love Christ Church and want to understand some of the things, both sides, that's okay. Um, But but the emphasis, as I said in the very beginning, is on this issue of prayer. Mm -hmm. The church is where it's at, maybe because we haven't prayed enough. And, and, maybe we, and we always need to pray more. I mean, I don't think anybody would deny that. Uh, we need to pray more. Um, we are where we are for lack of it maybe or whatever the case may be, but prayer, we need to pray. Prayer works. It does things. It accomplishes things. So says the Scriptures. Where are you meeting? Because we haven't talked about that.
1: <laughs> well, we're scheduled to meet on June the 8th okay. at the Chattanooga Convention Center. Uh, Ballroom, That's on Monday.
0: That's a Monday, yeah, it's right? a Monday,
1: and it's in Ballroom okay. H uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. And, uh, you know, there's no reserved seating or anything like that, but we we are asking people to RSVP uh, so that we can know kind of the numbers that we should expect in terms of seating that needs to be laid out. And then also, I don't know if uh, it would be possible. I, I know in the past, you've on some of your podcasts, you've listed some information with the podcast. I don't know if I can include a link or a, the email address that people can RSVP to. Yeah, I'll put that in because there's nothing worse than somebody trying to spell an email address on when you're listening to a podcast and trying to.
0: Yeah, and they're probably driving down yeah, the road exactly. anyway, and 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 next thing you know, you're, you're they're they've crashed into a pole right. because they're trying to right. because they're so excited about being there, they <laughs> yes. just, just got to get this down. Exactly, you know, they, they don't realize that they can always listen to it again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, I'll give the email address for those who might be sitting at their desk. Um, it's CliffwoodPCA at cliffwoodpca.com sure. so just remember cliffwood pca that's all you got to remember <laughs> yeah right okay yeah. and the at symbol you got the rest yeah. of it it's dot com so um cliffwood pca at cliffwood pca dot com so there's the information but i will have that under the um the announcement when i release this um on friday so people will be listening to it on friday and beyond um that'll be on the website as well. So you can click on that. It'll open your email program. You can send Hey, I'm going to be there and I can't wait. And I'm all excited. I listened to the podcast and it just got me really revved up. (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe you won't say all that, but anyway. um, But again, I think all involved would encourage everyone ruling teaching elders that are going to be at the general assembly to um, take advantage of these, um, these things. And especially the idea that praying together as officers in the church Christ's officers praying together before Him, humbling themselves, submitting to His rule and reign. He is the head of the church, and um, it does. I think you're right. I, how can you pray rightly with animosity right. or or angst or frustration? Right. You know, it's um, it's a great, great thing, and I'm glad the Lord has brought this together. Uh, last year, now this year, and, and Lord willing, in years to come, um, perhaps it'll be the It'll be one of the ways, at least, that the Lord helps all of us think through some of these things more more clearly. Any concluding remarks from either one of you esteemed gentlemen?
1: No, I mean, for me, I just would love to see as many people as possible come, and, and uh, I just
0: pray and trust that the Lord will use it for his own glory. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Any other comments? No, I think My we've criticisms? covered it all. No. <laughs> yeah and then some <laughs> and then some as right. as podcaster want to do or uh, tend to do they get a little tangential but that's okay um it keeps things exciting and informative and moving along so but gentlemen i appreciate your time and uh, i know you're busy pastors and um but we're also on this side at seminary uh level um at greenville seminary and and what we're trying to do there um very confessional presbyterian school um People know where we stand. Um, it's not a secret, and um, but we're really excited about this as well, and glad to help promote this in the right sense of that word promote. Um, but put the word out and get the information in people's hands. Um, you know, they may not have Facebook, so they don't know. They're probably better off if they don't. So. <laughs> I know you're both on Facebook, so am I, um, but well, sometimes I wish I wasn't. Anyway, um, but that's another subject for another day. But thank you, gentlemen, for being on, and um, I do appreciate the, you know, the answers and in, in, in talking about this subject. Thank oh. you.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having us.
0: You bet. Hold on the line just a second. Let me just wrap things up. Normally at this point in the discussion, I'll tell people what's coming up, and I usually also say, I have no idea. So if you want to know, uh, like I want to know, uh, go to the website, confessingourhope.com. And usually I have the list updated, uh, as to what to expect in weeks ahead. Um, we're coming into the summer months and that means less school for me. And I can give more attention to this, um, on top of other things, but I can give more attention to it. And so look for some very good discussions. Uh, just for instance, I'll be talking with Ryan McGraw, Um, on a little booklet he put out on corporate prayer and preaching and how they relate and go together. Um, I read it just the other day and um, was very encouraged and edified by it. So I'll be talking with him on that subject, and and I have other things in the works. So the website is really the best place to get the information, um, ConfessingOurHope.com. So until then, whenever that then is, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and God bless.